Just like everything in health, you can kind of fall into two camps of, well, this is just the way things are, so I can't really do anything about it. And then the other camp is I have a lot more power and influence over my life than maybe I've been led to believe. And there's actually things that I can do to take control of my health, of my sleep, and actually create a better life for myself. Hello, welcome to Balance and Moderation. We're a wellness podcast with some personality. Join me, Rob Young, and my friend Sheridan Lee on our pursuit of healthiness in the real world. Big love is the motto and our message is for everyone. So please don't forget to share this with all the beautiful people in your life. Enjoy. Good morning, Good Sheridan. Good morning. I was like half expecting you to say that it wasn't recording because <laughs> it was the first time you turned it on. So. I know. Two two weeks uh, straight, we had some technical difficulties and we're starting out the show without a technical difficulty for so, once. So Big W's all around big today. Big W's. Got to find little wins in life. How's uh, how's your life going, Sher? You, you find any little wins uh, over the last few days? Yeah, I mean, um, we're recording on Monday, so just had the weekend, and it was a very nice weekend. My boyfriend had a little gig that he played for actually his mom's birthday, which was really fun, and I got to hang out with some of his friends that I'd never really spent a whole lot of time with or met before because they just don't live in the area, and it was really nice to, you know, connect with some of his childhood friends, and I can see, you know why they're still such good friends, which is, it's great to see that. And um, more personally, uh, Barrett and I just have been investing in gardening and into our house in general, but our outside area, like I mentioned on the show, we have pretty big yard, front yard and backyard and haven't really done a whole lot with it. But since we are going to be staying in this house for another year, we finally decided, okay, it's time to get this how we want it to and not just live in the one house on the street that just kind of looks like meh. (laughs) So, and I've wanted to get into gardening for a while. So we just redid one of our beds and it looks really nice and I'm really happy. So it um, is a project that I'm planning on doing more as the weeks go on, especially since we're in Florida and we're coming up on a really good growing season. I feel like autumn is our best growing season here in Florida because it never really gets too cold here. So I want to get the yard to a place where it's clean and it's pretty. And then I can start some raised beds, hopefully before the end of September. So that's kind of what's been on going on in my personal life. So what about you, Robbie? My personal life, uh, it's, it's going, going all right. Uh, had a had a pretty pretty good weekend. Got to play basketball with the boys, with with uh, with Barrett and a couple of other our, of our friends, and and that was good. My legs are a little sore today, but been really ramping up the fitness routines lately. Starting to feel good, feeling like I'm ready to really make a strong push. I do have a destination wedding in Mexico coming up at the en- at the end of October. So right now is like a time where. 
I, I have my birthday coming up, so I'm going to relax, enjoy that. But I'm almost like priming my body to work really hard, to lose some weight, to get in really good shape before I got to go be with my shirt off for like three or four days around a bunch of people I don't know. Hell yeah. Good for you, man. And that, that may be a little vain, but I like to look good on vacation. Yeah. And I think just a note is, you know, I have people that will reach out to me sometimes like friends or family and they're like, I'm leaving in two weeks. How can I get cut? And I'm like, <laughs> well, you're about a month too late. Yeah. You really got to start these pre-vacation workups about a month or two before you go, depending on your your where your body's at at the time. I try to always stay within striking range of, I guess I would say like a photogenic body within about a month, month or two. Some For some people that's different. For some people they stay a little bit closer, they stay a little leaner. But we just have to get out of that idea that we can completely change our body in two weeks. It takes about eight weeks to really make some significant changes in your body. Yeah. I, I would say that's very accurate. And I mean, I know it does sound vain to be like, I want to look good on vacation. But I mean, I think everybody wants to look good when they go out and do things. I mean, I know that when I go to music festivals or I'm even going to be around family for a weekend, whatever the case may be, you know, I want to make sure that I'm looking my best, not just for others, but you know, for myself, I just, I feel more confident, especially if I've been working out a little bit more heavily in weeks leading up to a big vacation. I feel more mentally clear, clear. I feel physically stronger and I just feel more confident and ready to show up in the world. And especially for people who I think pretty much everybody struggles with anxiety to some extent these days. I think having that little umph of like, I look good and I feel good can help mitigate some of the social anxiety that can come out of these new situations. So that's kind of my two cents on the whole topic. I, I agree. I think your body, even mentally, if you're in good shape and you you feel strong and you feel resilient, you're going to be in a better place mentally. So it helps a lot. And one way that I am trying to up my fitness a little bit, recover better, and just be more overall productive is I've really been working on my sleep lately. I know we talk about waking up early, but today we're going to more talk about the other side of that, kind of going into sleep and how important that is creating a good nighttime routine, but really the science behind why it's so important to get good, regular, consistent sleep, what can kind of does what can happen if we don't get good, consistent sleep, and also what disrupts that. And then towards the end we'll get into maybe some some tips and tricks like we like to get into. But Cher, I just wondering before we get into our meat section you know, I think we've talked a little bit about waking up early and you've talked about that side of things. Can you talk about maybe your health a little bit from going into bed and how you feel your sleep health is? Yeah. So, I mean, I've definitely noticed a huge improvement in my sleep health and my overall circadian rhythm within the last couple of weeks, which is really great. And I think I have a couple different hypotheses for why that might be the case. For one thing, I'm a lot more consistent with my supplement game, and I always do a pretty good job with my diet and exercising regularly. So all of my foundational pieces have been pretty solid in place, but having that supplementation really does kind of help give me that extra little oomph, kind of push me over that hump. Uh, even 
during my daytime, but also at night. So I think I mentioned in the last episode, I've been taking this supplement that helps with like mitochondrial cofactors, has some adaptogenic mushrooms that are uh, incorporated into it. And it not only helps me have more calm focus and more energy throughout the day, but I've also found that by taking it every single day, I've been able to wake up easier. Um, And then also you know, we will just kind of touch on some supplements that might help you fall asleep, some that, you know, maybe everybody's familiar with that we actually do a little bit more harm than good. And then some that you guys might not be familiar with, but I take magnesium and I find that to be very helpful in helping with relaxation and helping me go to sleep. But Also, just kind of from a hormonal standpoint, I am coming up on my one-year anniversary of being off of birth control, so I think that my body's finally starting to get all of its hormones regulated because, again, as we've discussed, all of the hormones are related to each other through these complex pathways, so if your sex hormones are off, then your sleep hormones are off, then your... Um, digestive and uh, neuroregulatory hormones are also off. And so I think I'm finally coming into this overall homeostatic balance with my body. And I think that's been helping me wake up easier, get to bed easier and uh, different things like that. So overall, I've been feeling very stable recently, which like both physically and emotionally, which is uh, very nice. Not something I've experienced overwhelmingly in the last year. So it finally feels good to like any of us. have. (laughs) That's true. That's true. But I don't know. It feels good to really feel like I'm coming back home in my body again. So that's a, that's a great feeling. And just kind of talking about sleep and, and how that has a ripple effect into the rest of life. I've always been so not, I don't want to say against sleep. I know it's good for you, but it's just, there's something it's, that's probably my biggest hurdle in health wise is just realizing that I need more sleep than I do. I used to wear like, you know, the whoop band or oh, whatever. Okay. What? So there's a company called whoop fitness. It's W H O O P. Okay. A lot of people wear them. And what it does is it tracks your heart rate variability and it tracks your sleep and recovery. And I stopped wearing mine because it kept telling me I wasn't getting enough sleep. So <laughs> it was like I, I like I don't have time to sleep nine and a half hours, and that's what it was telling me I needed. Which probably for the workload that, especially at the time, because I think that was when I was training for a half marathon. At the time, I probably did need more sleep, but I'm taking that into consideration now. I'm working my best to get a solid eight hours of sleep a night because I know that my body recovers better, and I can't. I'm not 21 anymore. I can't just like neglect sleep and then get up and go to the gym for two or three hours. If I have a poor night of sleep, I usually have a poor night, poor day of fitness, poor day of productivity. So this is a topic I wanted to talk about because I'm really trying to ramp this up and get this better and healthier in my life. And I think it's something that everyone can benefit from of getting better sleep. And I really don't know I can't say anybody personal that I know well enough to know their sleep cycles gets that great of sleep. I don't really know anybody where they can't find an improvement in their bedtime routines or sleep function. So 
I think it's a great topic. We're going to get into the science behind it, which with the BAM tribe always loves some good little uh, science and intuition. So mm-hmm. we're going to get into things. I appreciate you all joining us and we'll catch you on the flip side. Hello and welcome back to Balance and Moderation. We are talking all about sleep today, circadian rhythm, and eventually we're going to get into a little bit more of the routines that we need to have before sleep. But as we like to in this middle section of our show, we like to really kind of dive into the science a little bit. I guess I shouldn't say dive. We kind of do a shallow dive into (laughs) the science. We try to make it digestible for the viewers and we like to we like to get into why these certain health tips or journeys that we're on are beneficial to us. So today we're talking all about uh, sleeping and really focusing on circadian rhythm. And share you 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 did a lot of great research for this. Let's kind of kick it off and let's just kind of define circadian rhythm and how it kind of plays into sleep and just our life and health in general. All right. Perfect. So I think everybody is more or less familiar with what circadian rhythms are. They are the 24-hour cycles in which our bodies operate on wake and sleep patterns. And this is true for all living beings, which is really fascinating. So there's a lot of research that we can do on not just human species, but also other animal species where we can find um, very clear evidence for what is beneficial for our circadian rhythms and what may not be, just as kind of an aside. But circadian rhythms are endogenously generated. So basically what that means is like they are created internally from our inner systems. And we have this suprachiasmic nucleus located in the hypothalamus. Ooh, I like that. Suprachiasmic. I know. That feels like it should be like a like an indie punk band or yeah. something like yeah. that. That kind of reminds me of Muse for some reason, like supermassive black hole. Oh, yeah. Suprachiasmic yeah. nucleus. Suprachiasmic <laughs> Um <laughs> I need but, to listen to some Muse. Yeah, I know. Man, they're so good. But this nucleus is basically what generates the circadian rhythms. And while it is generated internally, it can be modulated by external cues. So external cues can be sunlight, temperature, feeding patterns, different things like that. And so that's why, again, like you were saying, this is such an important topic for us to cover because... Just like everything in health, you can kind of fall into two camps of, well, this is just the way things are, so I can't really do anything about it. And then the other camp is I have a lot more power and influence over my life than maybe I've been led to believe. And there's actually things that I can do to take control of my health, of my sleep, and actually create a better life for myself. So that's kind of the whole point of conversation with circadian rhythms is while it is something that is just natural to our physiology, we do have a lot more control over it than, um, I I would say control over the health of our circadian rhythms. Like we can't override that we're 20, we operate on a 24 hour clock Mm -hmm. and we'll show you some evidence about like what happens when you do override that. But you have a lot more power over, you know, the efficacy of your sleep-wake cycles and how that impacts the rest of your physiology. 
I would say out of two camp, the two camps you described, the BAM camp is the latter. We believe that you have the power to change a lot more in your life than you're led to believe. And I think a, a, a start to that is, is getting your circadian rhythm in check. Absolutely. And just to kind of go into what the circadian rhythms really regulate is um, when we have a regular healthy circadian rhythm, we have clear patterns of brainwave activity. So we're following those typical beta alpha brainwaves during our wakefulness and those thelt theta deltas when we're asleep. We're not having, you know, delta spindles in the middle of the day, which are causing us to like knock out in the middle of the day or different things like that. Um, we also have very clear patterns of hormone production, of cellular regeneration, and pretty much all other biological activities. So our biological clock really does define the movement of all things that are going on in our body, not just our wake and sleep, but also, you know, our digestion and our sex hormones and our neurological uh, patterns and different things like that. So maintaining the cycle is really important because it promotes health and longevity. And conversely, if it is broken or irregular, we're going to find ourselves a lot more susceptible to higher risk chronic diseases like obesity, as well as premature aging. Okay, great. Now, now since you kind of brought it up, let's kind of, I, I know some of the studies you were kind of looking at, it, you, you talk about some of the kind of repercussions of not having a healthy circadian rhythm. Do you kind of want to touch on a few of the, the studies that you had that looked at at some of the maybe the spe specific side effects? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first of all, this was a mouse study that showed um, disruption of circadian rhythms and how they affect both the brain and the body. This study was done in 2009 by the Society of Neuroscience. And as always, we're going to link all of our evidence in the box below the podcast. But um, these mice were, you know, all mice have like a typical 23.6 hour cycle according to this data. So approximately 24 hours, just like any other living being on the planet. Um, but these mouse were housed in a day-night cycle of about 20 hours, so four hours less than our typical cycles. And they were housed in the cycle for six to eight weeks. And there's a control group, of course, and then uh, experiment group. And chronic disruption of these day-night cycles, they were found to lead to weight gain, impulsivity, slower thinking, and then other issues behaviorally and physiologically. So, for example, um, there was like a maze problem that all of the mice had mastered prior to the study. And then during the experiment phase, when, you know, half of the housed mice were in this 20-hour cycle, they had a lot harder time and they were a lot slower at um, finishing the maze, essentially, yeah. and doing it effectively, even though they had already mastered the problem. So think about this in your own personal life, like with work, professionalism. We, when we don't get enough sleep, we can run up against problems that are very solvable, maybe even things that we've already done before. But when we're not getting that really deep sleep and having a healthy circadian rhythm, then some things that are relatively easy 
become insurmountable very easily. And then also with body temperatures and metabolic hormones, we found that body temperatures in the experiment group were very disorganized. And then metabolically, hormones such as leptin, which controls appetite, and insulin, which controls blood glucose levels, those two hormones were elevated. And the experiment group of mice gained more weight even though they were fed the exact same diet as the control group. So I think a conversation we don't have a lot in the health and wellness community is not just what you're eating, but how you're eating as well as, you know, your circadian rhythm. If you are not getting proper adequate sleep or maybe you're sleeping at weird hours of the day or taking cat naps or working the night shift as we'll go into in later evidence, but you might actually struggle more with gaining weight, obesity, diabetes, different things like that, simply because your sleep patterns are irregular. It might not even have anything to do with your diet. And so there is a synergistic effect, like of course your diet matters, but if you're eating pretty healthy and you're still struggling with weight, it might have to do with something with your circadian rhythm. I think that's a big conversation that's left out of nutrition a lot is more less about what you're eating and timing what you're in timing the right things. I'm not a person that thinks fruit is unhealthy, but if you're eating a bunch of fruit before bed, not the best time to eat fruit. Mm-hmm. I'm not a person that thinks thinks a high fat meal is bad, but there's times when you don't want to eat a high fat meal. There there's our body isn't made to be this like random chaotic random stuff comes in random stuff goes out and it all gets into what you're talking about these rhythms and i think a big part of nutrition that can help is just eating at the same time every day and that can help with your circadian rhythm but also just helps with your body digesting and resting and getting stuff in and out and properly utilizing the the nutrients i have a big problem with the the one meal a day the omad diet I've never heard of that, so actually. It's like in the really, you know, there's spectrums of everything. There's, <laughs> of course. you know, the whole intermittent fasting world. A lot of people will do like 12 to 8. They do their eating window. That's a pretty standard that allows you to be fasted for about 16 hours and you eat for an eight-hour window. There's some people that basically do a 23-hour window and they eat one hour. Jesus. And so for me, looking at that, I just don't think the body can process everything that it needs to process. There is also something to be said that you can only take in a certain amount of protein per meal. Mm -hmm. So these guys that are doing these like 100, 200 gram protein meals, you're not absorbing all that protein. And I'm kind of getting off on a little tangent, but I think it's just, it's just interesting to study because it just looks at a lot of these different things. And I think when it gets down to it, at the core, circadian rhythm is probably the most important factor in all this, but we need to kind of schedule our lives a little bit and we need to Mm -hmm. kind of stay on certain routines to keep our health at a certain optimal level. Well, and I think just in general, routines are effective in maintaining and improving our overall health. I don't think anybody would dispute that. Mm -hmm. You know, routines and healthy habits, these are foundational to every single aspect of our health and our well-being in other areas of our life. So if we don't have a sense of regularity, you know, it's there's finding that that balance, you know, between spontaneity and being mm-hmm. flexible with life and being adaptable and then also having that regularity in our rhythms is 
really kind of you have to find that sweet spot in um in life in all areas of your life including your sleep and wake cycles definitely and then also um you know the study just to kind of wrap up the mouse study you know disrupted mice had also seen shrunken and less complex neurons in medial prefrontal cortex which is all about executive functioning so just going back to what we were discussing about being impulsive slower to solve problems even if you are struggling with, you know, a certain area of your health, or let's let's not say that you're struggling, but you have a health goal in mind, like maybe you want to lose a little bit of weight before your vacation, or maybe you want to try a new diet that is a little outside of your your typical zone. But if you are not getting adequate sleep, you're going to be a lot more likely to fall into cravings and maybe not be able to make the best decisions that are in alignment with your health goals because that executive functioning is not performing as optimally as it needs to be. And this can this can show up in a lot of different areas of life, not just dieting, but again, professionalism, other personal relationships, working out, different things like that. So and that's then, great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't make good decisions when we don't sleep correctly. So. Yeah, and I and I don't think again, I don't think anybody would dispute that. <laughs> yeah, that's sleep is one of those it's like drinking water. It's like nobody there's nobody there's no camp that's like you should restrict your water consumption. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. You should only get four hours of sleep a night. That is optimal health. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm glad that we can all agree on that. At yeah. the very least, let's find let's find what we all agree on these days. Yeah. But um Another study was done in 2020 from the University of California, San Francisco, and this was a study that compiled 11 years of data for nearly 3,000 independently living older men's and <laughs> men's. men's the men's <laughs> the men's. Um, but it found this study found that. Older men with weak or irregular circadian rhythm were more likely to develop Parkinson's later on in life. And now the the study it was kind of a foundational study. So there's a lot of different factors that the scientists found that there needed to be a little bit more evidence before making certain conclusions. They were kind of trying to figure out whether it's chicken or the egg conversation as far as, you know, when the circadian system is disrupted, is that a warning sign of premature neurodegeneration, Parkinson's, different things like that? Or conversely, is, you know, Parkinson's essentially caused by or in part caused by having an irregular circadian rhythm. So with that second line of thinking, if we can get the circadian rhythm back into groove and operating optimally, can this actually prevent neurodegenerative diseases? So this evidence, this study found that it was kind of inconclusive as far as what you know, statements can be made about moving forward, like, you know, further evidence and different things like that. But it was really interesting that they did find that connection between a disrupted circadian rhythm and the development of Parkinson's later on in life. As far as diseases like Parkinson's or just in general, like neurodegenerative disease, I'm pretty sure sleeping, I know it's been linked with, with Alzheimer's. It's been linked with, with other neurodegenerative oh, yeah, absolutely. ailments. And just like we were talking about in the previous study that was looking at, if you screw up that circadian rhythm, it has a ripple effect through pretty much every facet of health in your life. 
And if your hormones aren't regulated, if your body's not properly getting rid of metabolic waste, if your body is, if your brain isn't firing in the, in the proper way, then that's not going to be good for, for your, your neurological health moving forward. And I think the next study you were talking about kind of gets into that a little bit of reason of why it it disrupts your brain function so much. Yeah, exactly. So you were just kind of talking about metabolic waste and being able to clear, you know, toxins and remove different things that, um, like metabolites even, like things that are naturally occurring in the body, but that just need to get cleared out because if they don't, they can cause, um, you know, negative effects through accumulation processes and different things like that. But there's this 2020 research uh, that was done out of the University of Rochester, and they discovered the molecular and fluid dynamics of the glymphatic system to be synchronized to circadian rhythm. So that's a little bit of a dense sentence. So we can kind of break that down. But the glymphatic system, and yes, I did say glymphatic, not lymphatic, uh, was discovered in 2012. And this is the system that is the brain's unique waste removal system. And it is synchronized to your circadian rhythm. And I just want to point out how I think it's so crazy that we're just discovering the brain's waste removal system in 2012. Like, I, I'm kind of shocked, but also excited to see that like we're still making like this big of discoveries. We don't know shit about the body. When you actually look into it, you don't know shit about the body. No, it's so crazy. But I mean, similarly to like the name suggests, it does operate very similarly to the lymphatic system because it follows the pathway of blood vessels and pumps cerebrospinal fluid throughout the brain tissue. So that's kind of like the, uh, the brain's I mean, the brain does get blood to it, but this is kind of its own unique fluid, just like lymphatic fluid. Um, and this cerebrospinal fluid washes away toxins and metabolites and primarily functions while we sleep. However, this research showed that blood pressure, heart rate, circadian timing, and depth of sleep also played a role in the efficacy of this waste removal system. And if the system breaks down due to irregular rhythms or poor sleep or even physiological or emotional trauma, the system can break down and allow toxic proteins to accumulate in the brain, which could potentially give rise to neurodegenerative diseases. So there's a lot of different things that play into this waste removal system, but ultimately it's not just our sleep but it's our sleep-wake cycles that play a huge role in our body's ability to remove waste from our brain, which I thought was really fascinating. So without good, deep, scheduled sleep, our brain's just going to get gunked up, basically. Essentially, yeah. But I think it's also important, and I know that we're talking primarily about sleep, but also our activities during wakefulness are just as important to our circadian cycle. And I think when we talk about blue light later in the episode, we can kind of talk about how it can be helpful and harmful at the same time, depending on where you're at in that cycle. So that's a little preview into what we'll be going in later in the episode. But... Um, you know, what you are doing and how you're responding during your wakeful hours is just as important as your sleep. And this is something that I sometimes struggle with because I will find myself getting a little sleepy in the day. And especially if I'm not working in the office, I'm like, oh, I'll just take a nap or, oh, I'll sleep in a little bit today or whatever the case may be. But 
Again, having that regular, I'm waking up at the same time every day, I'm going to sleep around the same time every day. Again, be balanced and moderate and give yourself a little bit of wiggle room because life happens, but the best of your ability that you can do that, it's going to cause a ripple effect of health and well-being throughout different areas of your life. I completely agree. And and just the talk about about it's important what you do, not only for your sleep, but your wake cycle. I think that may be in the future, we may kind of come to find that working from home may not breed the best health health uh, habits or I guess health results. I know that there's certain reasons why working from home can be the best for for as far as mental health and anxiety and just getting things done and feeling more comfortable. But I notice, at least with some people I know that that work from home, they kind of use it as an excuse to just roll out of bed and then begin working right away. Mm -hmm. There's no time to like get up and start moving. And if you have to get to an office, you naturally have to get out of bed. You have to shower. You have to do these keystone habits and you have to get your day moving. You have to go be exposed to light. And I know a lot of people that work from home that they don't even brush their teeth till like one o'clock in the afternoon oh, because they're just rolling out of their bed at 7.30, logging on at eight, and then they're still sedentary. They're sitting there. And I wonder how that affects, this is just me kind of talking through something. Yeah. I just wonder how that affects health overall just as much as working in an office with all these like horrible lights and stressful system. I wonder like the variance of which one is worse for your health. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating. And I do think it kind of comes down to individualism. Like what is the individual willing to do and not do based on their own drive? So it's kind of that internal versus external drive. And I think a lot of us are externally driven. And that's just kind of the way that our culture has been set up is that we will do certain things because we know that we're going to be in the public eye and we won't do certain things because we know that we're not going to be. And ultimately it comes down to personal freedoms and personal responsibilities as far as like, what are you actually going to do when the door's closed? You know, what are you going to do when nobody's watching? And that really defines the individual. Completely agree. And so it just is important to be mindful of your health habits, no matter what kind of system or habitat you are are you have to, have to be a part of. Yeah. So I, I think this is all great. It all makes a ton of sense. And there was just, I will say when I was doing research, I got most of my studies from Science Daily, which both Robbie and I love this site because it has a lot of really great peer-reviewed articles, different studies coming out of very credible universities and sources, but it kind of breaks things down into different articles that are a little bit more digestible than just sifting through heaps and heaps of research articles through PubMed and different things like mm -hmm. that. So we definitely recommend going to check out Science Daily. We think that's a pretty great hub for any, you know, science, health-based questions that anybody may have. For me, it's a nice filter instead of using a certain search engine to <laughs> do my research is because it's not really, there, you can't really, I, I don't know how it works with Science Daily. I know there are some advertised ads, but for the most part, it seems like you're getting the most beneficial information that actually has real substance behind it. I'll look up a clinical on whatever health or nutrition and in Google, the first five are, you actually go look into them and they're all linking the same study, which was poorly done, that wasn't published, wasn't peer reviewed. And it kind of takes out that 
I feel like Science Daily is a good filter to kind of get away from like the clickbaity kind of headlines and mm-hmm. and as far as getting good scientific data even still I generally for me I, I try to go in and look and and see if it's a legit study and most of the time it is a legit study that they they show in science data but so. you do have to use discernment of course yeah. and, and we'll talk important. about we'll talk about some discernment um when we're getting into now we're going to kind of talk about things that really fuck your sleep up uh, to just put it <laughs> to know, put it bluntly to put it bluntly you know <laughs> these things fuck your sleep up and fucking is not one of those things that can fuck your sleep up i think it's actually good to do that before bed but uh <laughs> i think i think you'd also find some good research on that yeah for sure. yeah definitely so let's kind of get into some things that are gonna screw our sleep up i think there's been a lot of talk about blue light and we all have blue blocking glasses my glasses have a blue blocking filter on them Let's kind of get into blue light a little bit. Cher, do you want to kind of kick it off? What it, what really is blue light and then why is it really fucking our sleep up? Yeah, so I mean, blue light is just the blue wavelength. I think it's about 420, haha, like nanometers. <laughs> um, and that's that frequency that we get. And we get this like frequency of light from the sun. And so it is beneficial to get some blue light from the sun during our wakeful hours. And just kind of, again, going back to the definition of a circadian rhythm, our sleep-wake cycles are sometimes not cue-dependent, but they can be enhanced by external cues like sunlight. And so actually getting outside and getting sunlight actually has a lot of benefits to the body. Who would have fucking thought? (laughs) (laughs) But If you get blue light during the day, it can boost your attention, your reaction times, and your mood. Again, balance and moderation. If you get too much blue light, it can actually have a negative effect on the body, specifically like the the optical nerve and things Mm -hmm. like that. So that's why a lot of people wear blue light glasses even during the day. But especially at night, these blue light frequencies will keep us awake, keep us activated, keep us turned on, even when our circadian rhythm and our biological clock is telling us to kind of like wind down and get ready for bed. And so it can really disrupt our sleep-wake cycles because it's really disrupting that transition from wakefulness to sleep. And our exposure to light will also suppress melatonin, which is everybody knows has a influence on our ability to go to sleep and stay asleep um, and different things like that. But individual cycles, um, like there was a Harvard study of 10 individuals who they gradually shifted their circadian rhythms and they did this through blue light exposure. And what they found was like when these cycles were kind of uh, thrown out of whack intentionally, their blood glucose levels increased, which put them in a pre-diabetic state. Leptin levels decreased, which inhibits feelings of satiety. Just kind of even going back to that mouse study, it found the same exact findings. And so there's this diabetic and obesogenic linkage even to like blue light in in, in sleep-wake cycles, which is crazy. So it inhibits our ability to fall asleep and get really effective sleep, but it also does have not just a psychological effect, but a physiological effect on the body. Okay, great. Yeah, because I, I sometimes wonder with blue light, is it really the blue light or is it the fact that we are looking at Instagram and getting those dopamine and serotonin hits like rapid fire and that's why we can't sleep? But mm. 
So it's the, probably both. Yeah, I mean, it's probably it, a little bit of both. It definitely I mean, doesn't help. Um, and I think, and I don't know if it's necessarily like the dopamine that is like inhibiting us from falling asleep because there's a lot of different activities that can increase your dopamine naturally. Like you know, per, and we'll kind of go into this when we're talking about bedtime routines, but like kind of having a bedtime ritual can increase dopamine. Maybe having a little bit of dark chocolate can also increase your dopamine or, you know, having sex before you go to sleep will increase dopamine, different things like that. But I don't think any of those things would impact your ability to fall asleep. Yeah. But being on your phone... Dark chocolate a little bit. When I eat dark chocolate right before bed, it kind of... kind of. Yeah. But there's other things in dark chocolate too that kind of amp you up a little bit. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So it's kind of, you know... I would say err on the side of I don't think it's just dopamine that keeps us awake, but um, it's more the blue light, in my opinion. Definitely. So, I mean, I did a couple. I I found a study, uh, a couple studies on blue light, and one is interesting because it is a rat study, and I'll get into that in a second. Uh, As far as as a, a study I looked at, it had it looked at. Eight people ages 17 to 42, and they just wore blue light blocking glasses three hours before bed for two weeks. And it showed a 58% increase in nighttime melatonin levels. Oh, that's which, huge. Yeah. So the, we were talking about blue light inhibits the melatonin. So obviously blocking the blue light will increase your melatonin production. So that just overall helps you sleep. I know there's some talk, and we may get into it a little bit, Taking exogenous, I guess it would be exogenous. Yeah, right exogenous, term. Mel- yeah. Melatonin is not necessarily the best for your hormone levels. It kind of fucks your body up. But finding it naturally through blocking blue light or doing good things before your bedtime routine can really be beneficial to your health. So as long as we're getting that natural melatonin, that really is the goal. Yeah. And then... Um well, I, I won't skip ahead. I was going to say, speaking of other natural things that may not actually yeah, help you we'll, go to we'll, bed. Yeah, we'll get that in a second. So <laughs> I just wanted to touch on this just because, and I know the rat study, we talked about a rat study, and I think the study that you were talking about is really good because I think rats, as far as behavior studies, can be really beneficial. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at something, you're just not necessarily changing mechanisms, you're just changing the time, mm-hmm. and you're not you're not it it doesn't ignore the fact that rats are probably more nocturnal creatures but just switching their time of day their sleep and wake cycles had this catastrophic effect Mm -hmm. and i think if you did that with any animal and we see even with us it has a catastrophic effect but i did find a, a, a study that said blue light may actually help our sleep which i haven't seen anything like that before and then when i looked into it it helped rats fall asleep it helped trigger their response to kind of go into a a sleep state, and they were kind of trying to make the reference towards twilight, and that's why, and it has some weird protein synthesis. But that's why you got to be careful with rat studies. There's some that are well done, like the one you brought up, and then this one, if you really look into it, it doesn't make sense that you would look at the actual mechanisms that make you fall asleep based on light, because rats are nocturnal creatures. So they're going to react to light what would make them wake up is probably what makes us fall asleep in the inverse because they are nocturnal creatures. We are not nocturnal creatures. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think that that's fascinating, especially because if you consider, you know, more of these biochemical processes in the body, they're probably very different in the way that we produce proteins and hormones due to sunlight exposure compared to a nocturnal species, just like you said. So I think that that's great. Yeah, I think that was interesting. I just like to point out things for people. We we 
the goal, one of the goals of balance and moder- moderation is to get away from abstract warriors and people <laughs> that just pool and, and, and basically cherry pick data. So you got to really be careful with what you look into. That's why we just said, usually we check the articles that we talk about through Science Daily and make sure they're not bullshit. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great example. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about a couple other things that mess your sleep up. Mm-hmm. Something that I think for a long time I wanted to deny and I was on the <laughs> camp of and I can kind of kick it off. When I was in college, I always had a bowl next to my mm-hmm. bed and I would open my window and, and I would... And it's s- not a bowl of cereal, folks. It's not a bowl <laughs> of cereal. Not a bowl of cereal. It was a smoking device. <laughs> and I would literally open my... For like a year or two, I had it right next to my... night uh, On my nightstand, I'd open the window, I'd smoke at night and then literally roll over and try to go to sleep right after. Mm. In which it helped me fall asleep, but... I felt very groggy when I woke up. And then later in life, I found out that weed can inhibit you actually getting to REM sleep. So that's not good. And that's like the most beneficial kind of sleep. That's what really allows us to have those regeneration processes and expel waste from the body. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I feel like if you don't hit a good REM sleep, your brain's just mush the next day. Or at least that's that's the way it is for me. So I just found a study. It was it was pretty good. It looked at non-users, light users, and uh, habitual users of marijuana. And out of those three groups, there was actually some benefit to the once in a while users, the ones that didn't use it all the time. They were actually, but their sleep was benefited a little bit. And I think part of that is just getting to sleep. I think it does help you get to sleep. And if you monitor it, like if you're not getting zonked out of your brain, like I, I know plenty of people that it seems to be very beneficial to their sleep cycles. Mm-hmm. And, but the people that use it all the time, they're, they were actually much more, the prevalence of insomnia was much higher in that group. Mm-hmm. And they think some of that may be due to the like anxiety and depression that can come with like overly habitual use of marijuana, which is, a side effect that people don't like to talk about. I think in small doses, marijuana does have health benefits, but not to the sense that the dude with dreads and a clipboard trying to get you to sign uh, some (laughs) bill into place is trying to make you believe. Absolutely. No, and I think that that's a great point. I think um, just kind of like what you were saying, like these, um, these light users, they might actually get a physiological benefit might really just kind of help them like zone out, fall asleep, different things like that. But even just, I was thinking about for people who are smoking all day, every day, you know, it's kind of throwing off the whole circadian rhythm, not just the sleep-wake cycles, because you're kind of staying in this a little bit zony, hazy, groggy state literally all day. And I don't know what the hormonal effects of that are on the body, but the body might not be getting clear cues as far as, oh, it's time to wake up. Oh, it's time to fall asleep if you're always feeling like you're in this kind of stoned out state. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I definitely agree. I mean, that's part of the reason why I really curbed my use of it as much as I, I used to because I felt like I lost my edge. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't able to do the things during the day that I needed to get done. Yeah. And I definitely noticed that effect since I, since I quit as well. Um, but another thing, just kind of since we're talking about drugs and stuff like drugs. that. Um, Chronic drinking also disrupts circadian rhythms. A good old nightcap. Yeah, exactly. But when um, 
when I go out and drink, if I, you know, have a night out with some friends, I definitely notice that I have a harder time waking up in the morning. I just, again, kind of like we were talking about with weed, it's just like I'm not really on my A game the next day and it kind of screws up, you know, not just my night, not my night. I mean, I had a great night, but the next day is not the best. No, yeah, for sure. Um, but for people who are chronic habitual drinkers, just like chronic habitual smokers, um, this can actually like lower your baseline levels of target circadian clock genes. And, um, you know, this study is from 2010. It studied 22 male patients who met the criteria for alcoholism disorder and then 12, he 12 healthy control patients. And the AD or alcoholism disorder patients showed lower levels of these circadian clock genes, which can be linked to a variety of problems such as sleep-wake dysregulation, but also depression and even can lead to cancer. And so that's another thing that I think is really important to bring up is you know, if you're not getting effective sleep, it's kind of like sleep is such a foundational part of all areas of health that when that goes down, every other area of life falls off. Your mental health, your cellular regeneration, your hormone levels, you know, your ability to have proper executive functioning. So it really does deteriorate both the mind and the body. And it can have very deleterious effects like later on in life showing up as neurodegenerative diseases, as, you know, tumors and cancers and different things like that. So I know everyone tries to be, uh, you know, a, a warrior and like, you know, don't, I don't need sleep. Sleep is for the week. Like I'll sleep when I'm dead, that whole mindset, which I think a lot of Americans are, are plagued by. But you know, you might, I, I don't know, I don't want people to like, you know, feel like they're dead before they're actually dead. Uh, I know that's like not the most pretty statement ever, but I think when you don't take care of yourself at this point in your life, your health span decreases so much more than even your lifespan. And then you're going to have all these years later down the line where you're just not enjoying, you know, where you're at in life, which is, you know, what I, at least I think for both of us, we're trying to avoid that as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, we always, we always say it, we're all about health span, not lifespan. I know plenty of people that go 20, their last 20 years and all they are is a burden on not just their family, but on the medical system, but on everything. And, and a lot of that can be avoided. A lot of these chronic diseases can be avoided by just changing some small habits, mm -hmm. getting some more sleep, getting some water, eating most of your food as non-processed food. You don't have to go crazy and go go full full wellness guru, but that's what we're all about. The reason we the show is called Balance and Moderation is not because we think it's okay to eat unhealthy, but we we see that there is certain things that make a huge impact on our health and and that's where we really find the balance and moderation is getting those standard things up to speed or at a good level. So if our sleep is good, our water intake is good, we're doing some good self-talk and mental health, we're meditating, and we're eating mostly good foods, we can have a little more fun. We can, we can smoke a little weed once in a while. We can, we can drink a little bit. We can, we can go party. We can stay up late once in a while if everything else is kind of in line. And, and we talked about a little bit, and you have to worry about it. It's never too late to start to get healthy. Mm -hmm. There are some things that if you're an alcohol user for 30 straight years, you're going to have some problems that you probably can't reverse. But 
you can make it a lot easier to deal with those problems if you make some life changes. And that's what we're all about is just making some changes for the better. I love everything that you just put down. I think that was just a great summary of our research as well as, you know, kind of like our whole show premise and different things like that. So I think that we're at a good point where we're ready to move on to the next section. So uh, after this little, you know, cute little tune break, shout out to my roommate Everett who created this for us, you know, almost a year ago now. Uh, we'll be talking and touching base with you guys about different things that you can do for a nightly routine, some supplements that may and may not work. And then also we'll just kind of touch base about what our goals are for the week coming up. So stay tuned. And we are back. We are going to wrap up our episode all about circadian rhythms and nightly routines. So I'm going to have Robbie lead us off on his tips and tricks for different bedtime routines, kind of different ways to wind down, what you should start implementing, and maybe what you should avoid. So we'll just get right into it, Robbie. The floor is yours. Yeah, that's great. This comes from thesleepfoundation.org. It's a pretty good site. They seem like they advocate for good sleep. So. <laughs> Sounds about um, right. And it, it, they're talking about the, the title of it is what is a good bedtime routine for adults? I think when we're children, our parents dictate our bedtime routines. And then when we get older, it's almost like that you get into college and you're like, I can have ice cream, whatever I want. And it's that kind of childhood mentality of, oh, I can stay up as late as I want, but you got to kind of be an adult. You got to set boundaries and you got to tell yourself, I have a bedtime. Like everybody should have a bedtime. Mm -hmm. The fact that we're adults doesn't mean we shouldn't have a bedtime and specifically a bedtime routine. For me, my bedtime, I try to be asleep no later than 10. I don't know about Damn, that is impressive. I, mm. That's that's the goal. That that's doesn't mean goal, it always true. happens. Last night it was good. I, I I was in bed like before nine. We had everything shut off by like nine thirty, so it was good. I, I that was the goal. But normally probably creeps closer to like eleven. Yeah, I was still I was still eating dinner at nine o'clock last night. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's that is something that I'm personally working on is really trying to create a clear not just wake up time, but also falling asleep time. And that's just something that I think since, since graduating, I actually was pretty good about that when I was in college, but since graduating, it's kind of been a little bit up in the air. So that's something that I'm personally working on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the first thing we're going to kind of go through 10, 10 of these recommendations from the sleep foundation. I actually will disagree with a couple of them, but, but not completely disagree, but it's, I think it's a good framework for us to talk about a little bit. The first one, like we just said, decide on a specific bedtime and not just bedtime, but wake time. And it's just important to getting on a good schedule. We just talked about circadian rhythm. If you're going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time every day, your body is going to get on that natural biological clock. You're going to set your schedule up internally for you to be in the best environment for optimal health. Mm -hmm. So the next one is something we also talked about, blue light, leave electronics alone. It basically, like I was saying, it, it suppresses melatonin function and it kind of tricks your brain into thinking it should be awake. So part of your bedtime routine, and we'll get into that a little bit, is you know creating a good wellness ritual around bedtime is very important. And for me, you know, I talked about my 
bedtime is 10. The other rule that I have is at nine, no electronics after nine. So I can read at that time. I can play guitar. I can journal. I can, you know, if I have paint or draw, I can do things that don't involve my phone. I can still stay awake, but that, that means electronics out, no more. And it's like I, we, we talked about a little bit. It takes for me about an hour to get away from the, the blue light mm-hmm. effects on my brain. Yeah, absolutely. And I will just say, like, if you absolutely can't avoid blue light, like, for example, I was kind of getting some stuff done for work that needed to be done before eight o'clock this morning. So I was wearing my blue light blocking glasses and I was still on the computer. So I probably didn't get the best sleep that I could have last night, but I was able to mitigate some of those effects because I was wearing my blue light glasses. So if you can't avoid screens right before bed, definitely invest in a good pair of blue light blocking glasses. But ultimately, the best thing that you can do is get away from technology, ideally two to three hours before bed, but at least an hour before bed. That's going to be a good sweet spot. And I know some people will say, oh, the iPhone or any kind of Mac product has a red light or a a function that you can filter out blue light, but I've looked into it. It doesn't filter out everything. I think it's like it helps, but it's not like a fix all. You're still going to get a lot of those blue light effects if you're on a screen. Yeah. And even just whatever you might be doing on your phone can also contribute to um, just staying awake, staying activated, maybe even more so staying in that sympathetic nervous system state, especially if you're like consuming news or social media or things like that. And that might just kind of amp you up and make it harder for you to fall asleep, even aside from the blue light. So you want to be doing activities that are bringing you into this parasympathetic state, bringing you into a relaxed state of being, not necessarily like getting engaged with other people and other stimuluses um, in the meantime. Definitely, definitely. And the next tip is something that I'm not going to say I disagree about, uh, but I have, I think there's some nuance that's not being spoken about here, at least just in my personal opinion and research that I've done. But it says have a light snack or bedtime tea. I think bedtime tea is fine. We've talked about herbal tea as long as it's not caffeinated. Even if there's not a lot of crazy data that shows that the the specific physiological effects of the tea are going to help you fall asleep, having that ritual, getting the smells of chamomile or lavender are going to naturally relax your body and it's going to help you to get better sleep. So I, I don't have a problem with the herbal tea, but it says having a light snack or before bed can help. And yeah, it can. I mean, obviously heavy meals and drinking can lead to indigestion, but it says, however, going to bed hungry can also upset your stomach and make it harder to fall asleep. I personally think that if somebody needs food to fall asleep, especially if you like didn't skip dinner or you're not fasting, that may be an indicator that your insulin sensitivity is really off because mm-hmm. if your body can't go 10 hours without a meal, it's probably because you're on a very drastic insulin roller coaster throughout most of your day. You're probably eating a lot of refined carbs and a lot of sugar. And that's going to cause your your biological clock circadian rhythm to be off anyways. Yeah. You said not a lot of sugar. Do you mean not a lot of protein? As far as before bed? Like, like I think if, if I heard you correctly, you were saying you're eating too much sugar and not enough um, 
like you were eating too much carbs and not enough sugar. And I was like, I think oh, you I meant protein yeah, or something like that. I didn't, I didn't, I don't know. I might've tripped up a little bit. No, yeah. I just meant too much sugar, too much carbs, not specifically protein. I know I've done some research and I know like bodybuilders like to have some protein before bed. I know that if you are going to bed, you want to, if, especially like right before sleep, you kind of want to do a little bit more protein and easy to digest protein. Mm -hmm. I think for me personally, I like to stop eating at least two hours, preferably three hours before bed because as far as digesting throughout the night, I don't know if you've ever eaten a big meal and then you wake up in the morning and you oh, feel like you still haven't like digested crap. it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I just wanted to, to clarify that for our audience. If, uh, yeah, my bad. if I heard that, if I heard <laughs> yeah, that the bad. way you said it correctly. Yeah. So, I mean, it says have a light snack. I think if you need it, if you find yourself waking up hungry and binge eating throughout the night, that's definitely not good. So if you're having like a, a, a healthy snack before bed, I know like some yogurt or like some light fruit or nuts can, can help. That's what is recommended. I think that that is an indicator of some other issues yeah. in your health. Yeah. So nuance. Nuance, nuance is important. Nuance. And mm. there's another one. This is something that I kind of do. I don't necessarily take a bath. It says take a warm bath. I usually try to take a pretty warm shower before I go to bed. After that nine o'clock shutoff, I'll usually do that. And it's just all about manipulating your core body temperature. When your body temperature drops, it kind of signals that it's time to go to sleep. And so what you can do is taking a hot shower or hot bath kind of tricks your body into hitting those mechanisms that need it to cool down. Mm. So once you get out of the shower, like your body is kind of in that mode that it's trying to get its body temperature down and that can signal other pathways that say, hey, it's time to go to sleep. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And I mean, even conversely, I know that cold showers can help people wake up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... Cold showers in the morning, warm showers at night. Nice. I like that. Yep. And then listening to music. I know we talked about that with mitigating stress listening to music that's between 60 and 80 beats per minute. This is what we talked about on the last episode, if you haven't checked it out yet. But uh, it says 62% of people listen to music to help them sleep. I think that can be great. I think you have to worry about the electronics. Most of us listen to music on our electronics. So mm -hmm. we can have like a sleep, sleep timer, which you can find that. So I think that helps a lot. Just having some background noise can kind of help you get into that meditative sleep restful state. Yeah, I'm definitely one for having a little bit of background white noise. Like I, ever since, you know, living with Barrett, I can't fall asleep without having a little like our fan on or, you know, having a little bit of a rain machine. And I think rain machines are also really nice because it's, again, nice and repetitive. I like listening to like binaural beats and meditative music before going to bed. But at least for, for my partner, he finds that unless it's very repetitive, he kind of gets looped up in it and kind of tries to like follow the melody and it keeps him awake. So mm -hmm. having something repetitive kind of helps slow down the body. If there's too much going on, it might actually keep you awake. Yeah. The reason why I think binaural beats help me is because it's not really a song. It's like a song, but it's not really like lyrics and it doesn't have like bridge. I don't know. It's, it's just, just vibes. It's just vibes. That's the thing. When I try to listen to lo-fi beats or classical music when I'm trying to sleep, kind of like, you know, Barrett has that problem is, is he listen, almost listen to the music and yeah. you're finding it and then it, you know, triggers other thoughts to come in. So... I like music. I think I think it can definitely help. I know I I use I used to use a white noise app on my phone when I was in hotels a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll do it because hotels are just so silent. Mm -hmm. It's a little scary. It's scary. Yeah. 
And then the sixth one is something that I do every night. It's stretch, breathe, relax. Obviously, breathing and relaxing before bed are going to help, but specifically stretching, and it can let go of a lot of physical tension that will keep you from sleeping, and it'll help prevent cramping. And honestly, I wake up better when I stretch before bed. My body doesn't feel as as kind of kinked up when I wake up in the morning. And not just stretching, but doing some self-myofascial release. I'll do some some work with a lacrosse ball, or I have some different rolling products that can help me do a little bit of massage before I go to bed and kind of get me into that relaxed state. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. And I think just kind of talking about relaxing the body, um, there's a couple supplements that are really great at kind of relaxing both the mind and the body. And I know that we just watched a quick little clip of Dr. Andrew Huberman, who he's in the neuro space, right? Like that's kind of his bag. Yeah, he's a he's a PhD in neuroscience and he does a lot of research based around brain health. Yeah. So he recommends as supplements, which again, I think what Robbie and I are going over are more foundational pieces. And then if you need a little extra help, supplements can be effective. But um, what he finds is magnesium, specifically magnesium threonate is very effective, um, as well as Apigen, which I think is a chemical constituent found in chamomile. So, mm-hmm. again, if you just have chamomile tea, you know, you're kind of hitting both of those buttons at once. And then also L theanine. So, L theanine is found in green tea. And that's what gives green tea this calm focus effect compared to coffee, which is more of a wired and alert focus. The theanine kind of subsidizes some of the effects of the caffeine, but if there's no caffeine in the system, that theanine is really just going to help relax the body and the mind. Conversely, a lot of us know that melatonin supplements, or at least we think we know that melatonin supplements are good for helping us go to bed. And while they can help us fall asleep, we don't always get the best time staying asleep. And it can actually um, have a negative impact on our hormones, uh, specifically our gonadotropin releasing hormone, which is particularly important for teenagers. And then it also has an effect on the HPA or the hypothalamus pituitary axis. And that can actually negatively impact hormones, which kind of undoes the benefits of having a healthy circadian rhythm because it helps regulate your hormones. I think that's important to to discuss and and the goal in life is to to get everything naturally from the world, but that's not really the world we live in. And supplement is, supplements are an important part of a health routine, but it's finding the right supplements and making sure you're not counteracting other natural health processes by using those supplements. Yeah, exactly. The next one kind of goes in with stretch, breathe, and relax. It's practicing meditation. We've talked about med- meditation a lot. It's something that me and Cher both use to help our lives out in a lot of different ways. But I, I don't know if you have a specific routine you do for sleep. I know I will try to get in a meditative state when I lay down. I will do the box. I'll do box breathing with a little bit longer of an exhale, and I try to count my breaths and try to stay focused. And it usually helps me kind of drift off into sleep land by doing almost like a mindfulness meditation when I lay down. Yeah. Like I know 
we kind of have always heard of like counting sheep, but I think like counting our breaths and doing box breathing is kind of gives it that same effect, but is a little bit more beneficial to the body because you're really focusing on your breathing while you're counting. And that's that repetition and that breathing kind of brings the body into a parasympathetic state and allows you to blissfully drift off into sleep. That's great. That's great. And now number eight is something that I do like to do sometimes. I know, Cher, you say you were saying that you want to make a little bit more uh, uh, ready or I guess happen more in your nightly routine. And that's reading before bed. Um, and I guess I would just put a little side note is I think reading before bed is great. One time I was, re- I was reading a really good uh, uh, fiction book and I was just like wired. Like it would leave you on like a cliffhanger at the end of a chapter. And I was like, okay, I got to read the next chapter. So it would keep me up a little more. So I guess kind of watch what you're reading. For me personally, what I would say anybody that wants to do this to help their sleep is watch what you're reading. For me, I'll try to read some more like Buddhism, spirituality books, something that's going to put me in a calm headspace right before I go to bed. I think that's a great point. And again, it's even though it's reading, even though it's not electronic, it is still media. So, you know, even if it is something that is, you know, uplifting and empowering, even if it is kind of amping you up, it is going to be a little bit harder to fall asleep. So that's a great point. Mm -hmm. I didn't really think about that. Yeah. I've read some health, whenever I, you know, I used to read a lot of self help books. I've tried to get away from them a little bit and read more actual like functional uh, knowledge, get some of that from my reading. Mm-hmm. But problem is reading a self-help book is sometimes they can be very motivating. And so it's like 10 o'clock at night and I'm reading this book and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to wake up and just get after it. Yeah, and grind. right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so it kind of screws you up a little bit. And then uh, another thing that we always talk about, number nine, is to write down a to-do list or journal. And I think this is really important is just kind of organizing your thoughts before bed, just kind of getting a mental dump. So you're not like thinking about all the stuff you have to do the next day. You know what you have to do. You know that when you get up, you don't have to remember everything. It's written down and you can kind of relax and just drift off into sleep. Yeah. And even just kind of touching on journaling, I know sometimes people really struggle with falling asleep because they have all these thoughts that are racing through their head and they don't really have a place to clear them out and um, that can keep you awake. But I at least find that for me when I'm journaling and I have, you know, these thought loops or kind of anxious thoughts that are running through my head, if I write them down on paper, it's like, yes, that thought process might still be something that I have to work through day in and day out, but at least it's on paper and out of my head and I don't really have to focus on it as much as... I did when it was just living in my head rent free. So I think journaling is really important and helping alleviate anxiety and, you know, also getting prepared for the next day, just like you said. Definitely, definitely. So, and the last one would be to prep your bedroom. I think this is important. We sleep with a lot of like weird little lights on and we maybe not have it as cool. We don't really have fans on. It's important to sleep in a little bit colder of an environment than you would kind of do your uh, or, or have normally in your house for the day. I know I drop it down to 70 at night. I know that's kind of crazy for some people that really monitor their their utility usage, <laughs> but I drop it to 70 at night and just kind of going into the body temperature as your body cools down, it kind of triggers triggers your 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 system to to get in a sleepful state. So just preparing your bedroom, and we talked about a little bit about lights, you know, when you're going to bed, making sure you're shutting off overhead lights, making sure you're staying away from those blue lights, and 
really getting uh, some good sleep. Yeah. Something that I need to do right now as a, as a home project is I need to get some blackout curtains because my bedroom is right up against the uh, security light in our house. And we're also on, we're not on a busy road, but we are on a street where there's traffic, you know, in the early hours of the day. And so I think having that blackout curtain, both for light, which can, you know, negatively inhibit sleep, as well as for sound, I think is going to really make a huge difference in the quality of the sleep that I get day in and day out. Definitely, definitely. Now, these are all things that you can do to help your sleep. There's stuff that we do. Like I said, we'll link this in the show notes and we'll have a good time. But I know this episode is running a little long (laughs) and I don't really care, but we're going to kind of shut things down. Uh, We're going to kind of go through some stuff. But yeah, it's just a great talk that we had around circadian rhythm, sleep, which are really foundational pieces of our health. And we really need to make sure that we have in line. So Shara, is there any kind of closing statements or anything you kind of want to leave with the audience before we go ahead and sign off? I think we've covered a lot today. I think there was a lot of overwhelming evidence that having a healthy sleep-wake cycle and having those effective patterns in place really has such synergistic and overall cascading benefits to, you know, all of our health and well-being pathways. So, and we found that having a irregular circadian rhythm or having poor sleep patterns, how deleterious that can be for our overall health and well-being conversely. And so again, balance and moderation, you don't have to be perfect every single day. We're not striving for perfection. We're striving for progress, but I hope that you guys took away some good tips and tricks and some good evidence for why it's so important to have these healthy routines and habits in place so that you can be a healthier, happier individual moving forward. That's great. That's great. I know we usually talk about where we're at health-wise, but we kind of hit that at the beginning. Yeah. So we can kind of skip that part. But yeah, just I appreciate everybody for listening. I think this is a really good episode. Please share it with some people. I think anybody can benefit from getting better sleep. And I think a majority of our population does not get the adequate amount of sleep or good sleep for that matter. So please share this episode, like, rate, review. Please, please put a review if you haven't done that yet. That's very beneficial to the algorithm and helping us get the good word of balance and moderation get out. Get the to good the word mouth. out there. <laughs> get the word out there, out to the masses. Uh, check us out at the BAM podcast on Instagram. That is really ramping up and becoming a good source of media. Share is doing an awesome job with that. Uh, check out, I guess not right away, but hopefully I, I'm in my head by the end of this week, we will have a decently functioning website with a few <laughs> blog articles on it. So towards the end of this week, or probably by the time you're hearing this, go check out the blog, balanceandmoderation.com. Still don't know how we got that domain name, but it worked out. And you, if you have anything personal that you want to reach out to either of us, is there something that either of us said that an experience that maybe you're experiencing and need some help with, or just have kind of questions in general that align with either share or my interest, you can reach me at wellness Rob on Instagram and you can reach share at the wonderful page at the soul in science, which is awesome. So really appreciate you joining us. Remember everybody, The big mood is big love, and we want to love everybody, but more importantly, we want to love ourselves and create a happy and healthy environment for our lives and everyone in it. I love that. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you next week.
Hey everyone, Rob here. Really appreciate you listening to our episode. Just real quick, this podcast is for information and inspiration purposes only. Any personal opinions or views do not replace medical advice. Balance and Moderation recommend all listeners embarking on their wellness journey to do so under appropriate supervision by a healthcare provider. Thanks.